the writing was not so much the hurdle, nor was the agent and the getting the book deal. This is the selling of the book. My name is Bethany Saltman, and I am an author and a best-selling book coach. And I'm Fran Hauser. I'm an author, a keynote speaker, and a publishing strategist. These How I Did It conversations will inspire listeners to claim their own authority mindset and turn the story they can't stop telling into a book the world needs to read. This is Bookbound, the podcast created in partnership with Share Your Genius. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm so excited to introduce you to our guest, Dr. Aliza Pressman. She's a developmental psychologist, professor, podcast host, and now an author. Her book, The Five Principles of Parenting, just came out in January 2024. Her author journey had us reflecting and deep diving on what it takes to build a platform alongside your book, because the book world has changed so much with the addition of social media and how we market books these days. She gave us some amazing insight on the rookie mistakes you want to make sure you don't make as you build your own platform. And she also touched on the power of connections and the difference the support from other women makes on our journeys. I hope you love this conversation as much as we did. Let's dive in. Hello, Aliza. So good to see you. Thanks for being so here. Good to see you. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting. Glad you're doing this. Yes, yes. We're so excited. So let me dive in with the question that we like to ask every guest at the beginning. How did you know that this material was a book? As we know, you've been doing this incredible work, the podcast since 2019. You have an incredible Substack. You've been in this, quote, space for a long time, crushing it, I might add. Mm -hmm. so, so what happened to turn this into a book and why now? Interestingly, always promised I would not write a book. So I'm not, I, I really, for 20 years now, have been like, there are too many books about this topic. And mothers in particular are so inundated with content that it can start to make you feel like there must be something you're missing. Otherwise, why would there be so many books? So I really shied mm -hmm. away from it. And then a couple of years ago, I just started to wonder, just from people giving me feedback, like, is there a way to put under one roof the stuff that really matters in the science that could maybe help be relieving? And I thought, if I can make a relieving book that covers from zero to however old your children are, that maybe it would be of service. And so I tried it. I love it. So was there any any specific time, like anything about like this moment that that made you more open to it? I think just the world seems to keep burning a little bit. Like it just keeps feeling like that. And I I work with so many parents and I hear so much from mothers in particular that it just feels so overwhelming and they feel like they're never getting it right. And the world is such a mess. And the theme that I kept hearing, and I think it is consistent with pandemic and social media and content getting like kind of exploding that it was hard to figure out just like how to curate things and know. I, I really think it's unfair to mothers to say like, you should just kind of be born with this. Mm -hmm. It's all in your gut. Mm -hmm. But it's unfair to say that there's actually any evidence that the minutia that we receive of information makes any difference in the world to the big stuff that matters. And so 
as that kept happening, this time period just felt like the time to say, hold on, there is a lot, but there's not that much that really, really matters. And so that's, I think, what happened. Oh, I love that. So I, I'd love to hear about your process then. So you decide that, okay, I'm going to write the book finally, you know, after 20 years. What was the first thing you did? Did you have a literary agent or did you need to find one? There was a literary agent who had approached me about a book a couple years earlier. And I had said to her, I'm not writing a book. And then she said, I think it's time. And I said, I think now I might have something that I want to write. So that was, it was not, I think it's different with me because I'm not a writer. I'm a developmental psychologist who's writing to deliver information in a way that maybe is a little easier to receive for some people. I imagine my voice works for some people and for some people it's probably as cringy as can be. Who knows? (laughs) That part of the process was easier. In fact, which is probably cutting to the very end of this to me having learned this whole process, the writing, especially because I have piles of content and transcripts and work that I've done over the years and articles and like the writing was not so much the hurdle, nor was the agent and the getting the book deal. This is the selling of the book. It's, it's so out of my lane to, to go into marketing and sales. And it's so off my personality type to be like, here's some information, by the way, please buy my book. Like it's so awful feeling. <laughs> so I would say title and cover and like things that I have no business in my view, being in charge of, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> there isn't like a paint by numbers path for this. <laughs> that was shocking, shocking to me. Just because right. I'm not, I'm speaking to people who probably were well aware of this, but I was not. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because it sounds like you had so much of the content from your podcasts, your Substack, your all the articles that you've written, right? So social media, did you have help with kind of packaging it all? together? Did somebody help you with that? Yeah. yeah. So you really I, were supported. You felt really supported in the writing process. Felt more supported. Like. My editor is like so in, and she has younger kids. Oh. It always yeah. helps. Alisa, how did you feel about the the book proposal process? Yeah, I'm assuming that fun. you and your agent worked on a proposal. Yes. But interestingly, I had the, the publishers did offer me a deal without a book proposal and then I wrote the book proposal to sort of see if I, I know that's not, they, but. No, my reaction is only because I always tell people, yes, even you have to write a book proposal. book proposal. Yeah. So, so let's just, let's pause for a moment and tell our listeners, we can talk about platform. We can talk about all the reasons why someone like you, and this does happen every now and then. I do have a couple clients who are really at the top of their game who were able to get a lot of interest like out of proposal. So maybe we should just pause because I know our listeners are going to be like, oh, well, maybe I don't have to write a proposal. Right. No, I think it was very, I think it was very unique because I have so much content out in the world. Yes. And because I had a lot of social media supporting the content and the podcast that I have, I think supported And it was not like as I ended up doing a proposal because my agent felt like it wasn't it wasn't the right offer. 
So I did end up writing a proposal. But of course, I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, I bet. So are you happy you did? Was that the right thing to do? I would say that it was an opportunity for me to figure out – well, I thought it was an opportunity for me to figure out what I was going to really be doing. I think the challenge in what I do is that I'm such a generalist. So I'm not God. like writing about one very small thing, which is odd because in my field, in developmental psychology, like when you get your PhD, it's on like the mm. tiny sliver of this piece of the tiny sliver of a pie and you become super, super laser focused. But my work life has been much more of a generalist and translating research and then doing small amounts of research that are about one particular thing. And so I think that's a harder sell. It's just hard to sell it. Like I still can't tell you like a great marketing or elevator pitch and my book comes out in a week and I'm like, huh, it's not urgent. It doesn't mm -hmm. have the urgency. Mm -hmm. Like it should have urgency. On the one hand, I get it. Like raising our children and ourselves is kind of a big deal. On the other hand, I don't want it to feel urgent because I want everybody to know that like this is meant to be additive and relieving. It's not meant to be if you don't read this, your kids are going to be yes. terrible. Right. And I think that unfortunately in marketing right now, there's a lot of like histrionic mm. ways of oh, yeah. reaching parents. And I'm unwilling to do that, which I think is not great for maybe selling books, but I think it's what feels good for me in writing the book. What did you do your PhD on? Um, I did my PhD on sensitive maternal caregiving in the first year and then outcomes in year five in kindergarten, Gosh. like cognitive and social wow. emotional outcomes. And I looked at changes, like if you had a particularly easier time early on, but then it got harder or vice versa or sort of stayed stable the whole time. Interesting. Well, yeah. one of the things we talk a lot about is the story you can't stop telling. So would you say, have you been talking about a similar since then all the way into your book or do you think you've changed radically? I definitely haven't changed so radically, which I think one of the themes I talk about is like, I don't know how we started to say there's like transformational and revolutionary stuff going on in this field. It's actually been going on for decades and decades and decades, as you know. You. Yes. Thank you. And I think it's getting delivered in an exciting way now. It is strange because it's like if you really look back at the literature from 25 years ago, you wouldn't change. You wouldn't be like, oh, we've got a like we've got a revolution on our hands. Right. <laughs> it all right. says the same thing. So I think if anything, I've been I think that's very relieving. A lot of parents will say, like, I can't keep track. I feel like there's different trends and whatever. And I'm like, they're just yeah. repackaged. Don't yeah. you worry. Yeah. yeah. There's not like a silver bullet that we just came up with this year or in the last five years. There's just like marketing. I So I'm so excited to talk to you more about marketing, especially because you're so in the thick of it right now. But before we go there, I'm curious, you know, you had all this interest, right? This like inbound interest. And I'm assuming a lot of that interest is because of your platform. Yeah. You know, it's because you're, of your social media. It's because of your podcast. It's because of your Substack. Can you talk a little bit about how did you get started on creating this platform? Because it is so exceptional. It's what the work that you've done, seriously, it's so impressive. And 
I'm just thinking about our listeners who are so scared about like putting themselves out there and launching a platform, right? Everybody talks about this author platform. How did you get started in building your platform? I think that I got started, I just started this podcast, which I will say, if you want to try something where there's no, there's just no repercussions if you fail, you know, like who cares? Like, it's not that we're not putting forth effort, but it's not a financial burden. It's not, there's not like some public ranking that's like, you're a failure. There are millions of podcasts. Like you can kind of put yourself out there in the world. And I felt like that was a very safe way to start a platform because it was mm-hmm. kind of like, if nobody wants what I'm selling, this, it's I mean, okay. it doesn't feel great, but it's not going to be, this will not change my work life. This will not change my relationships. This will just be a very, it's like a very soft way to put yourself out there. Cause it's just like, you don't even realize when you're like, I feel like right now we're just the three of us. Yeah. I mean, sure. Other people will be listening, but it's not on our minds or at least it, totally. it wasn't on mine. Yeah. For better or for worse. <laughs> so I think that is a really easy way to start that feels less vulnerable than writing something. Yeah, that's true. Or even like social media where then you're looking at the number of likes and the number of comments that, and the engagement. Much and yeah. It's much more public. Right? Much more public. So I started, then I started social media to let people know about some of the content in the podcast because I know that nobody has time for anything and maybe all these different ways of reaching people, something will resonate and be helpful. But I didn't start the podcast social media within a thoughtful, like longer game view Got it. of what yeah. I wanted it to be. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have called it Raising Good Humans podcast because <laughs> it's so limited to the podcast. It, like it's even confusing because my book is called The Five Principles of Parenting. Mm-hmm. But the part that was beneficial is that I just really was like, these are not my primary, like this is not how I derive any of my worth or Mm. any of my sense that my work is valuable. So I'll just put it out there if it is of service. And if it's not, I genuinely had no skin in the game. And I think that is easier. Like right now I have skin in the game and I'm like selling the book. So it feels much more personal. And I'm kind of, no, I 100%, this is the first time since I started the podcast where I'm like, this would, this stings when people do not respond. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Well, I love that you talked about being of service because we talk about that all the time. Um, you know, egos get bruised, as you're saying, right? It stings. If we can stay of service, then it can roll off a little bit more. So I love that the beginning of this whole process for you sounds like was to be of service. I'm limited in how many families that I can work with. And I work in a hospital where there's like limited amounts. So we just have limited resources. And it, it just seemed like an easy way to reach people if it could be of service and a harmless way to not reach people if it was not. <laughs> 
Hey there, sorry to interrupt, but we know you're hungry for more on how to write, publish, and launch your own book. So we'd love to tell you about something special we have starting up in May of 2024. Yes, Bethany and I are so incredibly excited to host a bookbound accelerator, literally designed just for our listeners. We know so many of you want to write a nonfiction book, but you aren't sure how. So we created the super practical accelerator to take you step-by-step through the process. And the coolest part is that we've designed this, whether you're interested in going the traditional route, hybrid, or self-publishing. Yep, we've gotcha. So if you're a woman writer, professional, entrepreneur, or thought leader who's ready to turn the story you can't stop telling into a book the world needs to read, this is the opportunity for you. Over the course of two months, we'll help you create a bookbound blueprint, which will include your book's big idea, organizing principle, table of contents, market positioning, and title. In just eight weeks, you'll come up with your bookbound blueprint. Plus, you'll get exclusive access to our very own extensive database of publishers who are looking for books just like yours. Yep, the only people who have access to this database are folks in the Accelerator. Go to bookboundpodcast.com slash accelerator for all the details. The link will be in the show notes too. We hope you'll join us. Limited spots are available. If you're interested, apply today. And so I wanted to ask you about your platform. Did you have one, um, what we call muse in mind, you know, or like the ideal customer avatar? Like, did you think about that at any point in the beginning or, or writing the book? Did you have like one person in mind? I had my mom groups in mind. Mm. I really like some of them I've been with for 14 years, 15 years. And I, I know them. And they know me. And I sort of imagined that the reader was just like one of the archetypes in my mom's group, sort of curious enough to do this and wanting the support enough to do this, but not so much so that they weren't going to get annoyed when I said, you know, certain things are not going to matter. Because I think that that bothers some people. That's not for everyone. I can tell in the beginning of my groups when I, especially when I first started these mothers groups, I think 17 years ago, I noticed that some people came in thinking that I was going to tell them how to do everything right. And I think for some people, when they found out that that was not actually feasible, because we don't know the answers to that, we just have bigger picture science that gets translated into much more kind of minutia-oriented guidance. I think I was reaching the parents. I kind of wanted the parents that come between wanting to have every single thing be just so and the parents who were like, I don't believe in parenting books. This is nonsense. I sort of wanted to capture that middle space. Mm. I love that. Oh, I love that. I um, Elisa, I'd love to go back to – the title of the book and get like a little bit behind the scenes on why it's not called Raising Good Humans. And so how did you guys think about Raising Good Humans versus the five principles of parenting? And yeah, yeah, I'm so curious about that. So sometime after my podcast started, 
but probably well after the title was chosen, someone else wrote a book called Race and Good Human. And I'm sure now, I, now that I know how publishing works, I'm sure they chose the said title around the same time as I did. Yep. But by the time it came out, it was I probably had the podcast for six months. I wasn't going to change the name of the podcast. I didn't even know about it. But then it's – and it's a wonderful book, so at least it wasn't like some – Yeah. But then over time, I would get messages. I read your book, and I was like, that's not my book. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so I really couldn't – I really needed to have a distinctive name from yeah. that. And then, you know, I put – I did put your essential guide to raising good humans in my subtitle. Love that. It's some re recollection of what I am more known for. Yeah. But then I wanted to call it raising good parents. I oh. thought that would be like more honest about what it was really about. But mm. I got rejected. <laughs> That's like one of the um, – I found I've, – I've written two books now and the title is always – it's just so hard. Oh my so gosh. I remember like the lists of like, we'd be brainstorming and it would be like 50 times. And then I remember my publisher like going and talking to Barnes and Noble about it. Like, what do you guys think would be a good title? You know, because, yeah. right? Because Barnes and the, a, a physical bookstore, the cover and the title really matter. Right. When you talk about selling the book. But yeah, it's always so hard. I love that you included that the raising good humans phrase though in the subtitle just to tie it all together. Just to tie it all together. That was so smart. That was so smart. I definitely was like, and I'm pretty sure my publishers did capture those. Like, I think everybody likes a number and yes, <clears throat> there was a part of me that wanted it to be like a deeper title, you know, like attunement or, you know, like the things that we just, yeah. you know, but ultimately, I landed with this because, well, first of all, one of my friends suggested it. It was not, I didn't, I definitely didn't come up with it. But also, she was a, she's an author and she was like, people like numbers and they like to know what they're getting. And I was like, all right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah keep it simple, promise. right? Keep Put it simple. Promise. Kept it really simple. Yeah. Right? Yep. Your book is coming out next week. I mean, by the time this podcast airs, it will be out in the world. But here we are, the three of us talking, and it's coming out next week. It's such a great book. As a mom, I, I loved it. I want to tell you, I know you're probably feeling a lot of pressure around launch and getting good numbers, but this is going to be a timeless, perennial, evergreen book. It's going to be around Thank for a you. very, very long time. So like as you're you know feeling a little bit of agita around the, the marketing just keep that in mind because I think as authors, we get ourselves so like worked up about launch, about yeah, the first I agree. week, right? What are you focusing on right now from a marketing perspective? Um, I do think that you're absolutely right. Like I, I keep trying to remind myself and I actually wrote down on a piece of paper, like my goal for this book was the opposite of trendy. So like if it's timeless and I want it to be able to stand the test of time, I have to let go of the fact that it's going to be a trendy, exciting book, which means it's yeah. not as easy to market that first week, but it's going to yeah. be a long game. So I just have to remind myself that <laughs> yeah. this particular week when there's like so much going on, I have noticed 
for whatever reason, the best way that this is starting to get marketed has not been through traditional channels. It's been through clients and friends who have read it and are just like putting it out there on social media and have actual meaningful feelings about it. And I noticed there's a really big difference between when people feel like they care about it and they get it and people who are just kind of quoting you in an article or things like that. Like that doesn't seem from a marketing perspective. And I know zero about this, but I'm just observing because I know nothing about this. What I'm observing is that authentic like connection with the book seems to be the only thing that has moved any pre-order needles. And I also am interested in the fact that I've been told over and over, I'm sure I'm this will come out and we'll find out, but that I have to figure out again, like I said before, the urgency factor and that that's such a huge part of marketing. And so like, I'm going to find out whether or not I know mothers more than marketing knows mothers about like not all mothers, but like this one space between mothers that I'm really trying to capture, which are the ones that want some resource, but they're like, please don't inundate me and make me feel like crap. But I haven't been comfortable with like creating urgency. And I I think that, you know, we'll, I'll get back to you in a couple of weeks if that backfires or if it's like that. I mean, from a marketing perspective, that's a great marketing angle, you know, the non-urgent parenting guide because this is timeless. (laughs) You might not rush to get it that day, I think is the problem with the marketing, but I'm... Well, unless you're really craving something that's going to be more comforting and informative than something that's going to put out a fire. Exactly. And I really want to capture that feeling. I really do. So that when the fires come... My, my hope is everybody's prepared with the absolute right. best they you know right. information they can yep. feel like okay I can handle this fire because I didn't deal with it in real time I actually have been sort of fluent in how we respond to these kinds of things I love that you brought up the authentic the authentic connection and just people in your world who whether they're clients or their friends who really care about the book. They love the book. They're posting about the book. It's coming across in a really genuine way. And I always say that to people like start, I say, I say to authors, start with your personal network, start with the people that are in your world. There's so much power there. Like I know we're all thinking like scale, like how do I write? How do I scale? How do I sell a ton of books? But if you take it person by person, people in your network, it's so, so powerful. And We can't forget that. I think it's true. And I just struggled like until just the last month, I would say, when I'm like, oh, God, okay, I have this book in my hands. I'm going to get it to the people that I think really will respond to it. But I struggled at first because I was like, oh, I don't want to ask anybody anything. And Mm -hmm. so I had to start to remember like there's actually information in here that's helpful. I'm trying to only send it to people for whom it would be helpful or who are very much in relationship with the circle of parents that 
would find it helpful. That was hard. Like I really had to have a sit down, talk with myself. Like you're not Mm -hmm. asking somebody to do something bad for themselves. Yeah. Hopefully this is really like a, of service. Of service. They'll just be getting it earlier. But I, it was really, that was a a scarier thing to do. And then once I started getting, I did it, I like trickled these things as I started to get more comfortable with it. But at first I was like, would you mind if I actually just, if I could just send it to you? (laughs) I know. And you know what else too? People get excited about getting the book in advance. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many people that get excited about that. And they're also rooting for you. They want to be supportive, right? We have to get over that hump of like just asking, just like feeling okay to ask. It's really hard, especially for a particular age group of women. It's like very counter to how we were raised. I can't speak for an entire generation of women, but I can say that younger working women are much more comfortable with this. Mm -hmm. And I definitely was raised to be like, disarmingly self-deprecating. I have a service that I can, like, I am of service to you is a very, I'm just sort of not built that way. Mm-hmm. And even people 10 years younger than I am are women are just like, especially when I'm asking them, I can see that it's their pleasure. It's their yes. pleasure. Yeah. And they're like, let's go for this. This is yeah. awesome. Yeah. And I'm like, it's been really cool. So like, I love that about, I think younger women in the workforce are more comfortable with that. But I also am just curious and interested that this is this new challenge as a woman who's, I'm turning 50 in a few days. I'm just getting comfortable with this. That's kind of wild. So you're turning 50 in a few days and your book birthday is a few days after that. That's amazing. Yeah. There's a lot of milestones. Wow. A lot of milestones. Do you speak? Do you like, is that a part of Cause I'm just thinking about all the moms conferences and events like the mom 2.0 and the, where this book just has such a natural home. I do speak, but mostly at schools and some like yeah. corporate stuff, but okay. I don't know. I, I have wondered from the beginning and I never got an answer on this. I only find out about those conferences if I see somebody, for example, posting them. Like I'm like, okay. what is that in Dubai? like, or whatever it is. So I don't really, like, I never really tapped into those to know. And part of that might be, I have one knee, knee, one foot, one leg in academia and at the hospital. So the conferences that I present at are not, they're like very much not this. Yeah. Oh, I think it would be, people would love you. I mean, those conference organizers, you would be amazing. Like I'm just thinking about all even like the conferences for women. It's conferencesforwomen.org. That might be an interesting project for someone on your team or, you know, maybe somebody at the publisher to just do like a little bit of research on moms and women's conferences and pitch to those conferences because they might also do bulk buys. You know, that's great. And thank you. And I just wrote that down. What a great little consult we just had. Right. <laughs> also, I think it's worth saying that publishing houses are so stretched thin. Yes, yes, yes. That there isn't a whole lot of really handholding and brainstorming. Yeah, and it's like true. I even had to have an outside editor because I was like, oh. I don't feel – can you please okay. look at this? Because like I just want to make sure – 
I'm crossing my T's and dotting my, my I's. And I, even with copy editing, I was like finding things that I was just like, this is nothing about wrong with my publishers so much as like, I don't think publishing gets that many resources to like spread out. Yeah. And so like just your suggestion, one yeah. would think would have come up, but like, why would they know? They don't even know the mother space necessarily or right, whatever right. it is. So right. it's very interesting. But in general, like when you get proposals from publishing houses, which I do so often, or PR teams, I don't read past the heading in the subject line. This is just like mm. a little tidbit to know. Yes, people, please listen up. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the subject line really matters because I can't, I don't have bandwidth. And I do have somebody else who goes through all of them first before like I would look at them just for self-preservation and time. But what I think is interesting, and I, I did say this to my publishers, that subject line is so I don't know if other people treat it this way, but I think Everybody if you does. are looking at something and the subject line is not compelling, mm. I just don't have and contains like a couple of data points that are gonna matter to my like me. So if the majority of guests that I have are experts in the field who are researching, blah, 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 like in the subject line, your expertise matters to me. Yeah. Just yep. to save me the trouble of like trying to figure out if it's, you know, because a lot of stuff that comes my way has, it looks fabulous, but has nothing to do with my podcast, looks, so then yeah. you get letters. And sometimes if I open them, I see that it's like a cut and paste. Yep. Sometimes they forget the, like the name is still yep. Yep. from a different, mm. you know, and that knowing that has been very, like, it's hard because I'm like, it's hard not to be controlling and say like, if I could just... Check everything that you're sending out, but I don't, obviously. <laughs> That's something that probably doesn't benefit me because, again, I'm trying not to be trendy and I'm trying to have this be a long longevity and timeless. So it's not urgent. So it might not look great in a subject line. But I know that when I'm looking at proposals, I definitely am looking in the subject line. So if you're an author who is working on marketing your book, think about whether you're emailing media, whether you're emailing That's potential collaborators, it. influencers, even people in your network, just asking them to write a, an Amazon review for yeah. you. Like really think about the subject line. Yes, absolutely. It's so important. It's so, it's so important. And I didn't have the bandwidth to do this, but I wish I'd had the bandwidth. Like if I were doing this as my full-time job and I didn't do anything else, I would say I would hand, I would handwrite. I would personally write yes. each one of the pitches at, at a minimum, each one of the genre of pitches. Yes. Yes. And absolutely. name the subject line. And I would be much more, you know, like, oh, even by podcast, like don't pitch a podcast of, of this topic. If you've heard that podcasters say they hate parenting books. Right. Maybe like, talk to them do about some research. Do yeah. some research. And I know that that doesn't happen because I receive these from mm-hmm. really big publishing houses down to really smaller ones. And the primary thing is like, I know they don't have time and bandwidth to do mm-hmm. the research on the individual. Anyway, it yes. didn't, it wasn't something I took the time with, but I know if I had, it would be 
so much better. This is so good. And because a lot of people that we work with aren't necessarily to the point where they're pitching a book, but they are building their platform. So they're pitching editors for articles, essays. They're in the building phase. And we talk to them all the time about subject lines for sure. Get your hook in the subject line and do your research. Who are you writing? Let them know that you know who they are. Nobody wants to be spammed, even if you have something really interesting. Totally. And I actually had the most humiliating, like, I was like, I, okay. You know how there's Sam Harris and Dan Harris? Yes. Oh my God. I'm so embarrassed. I can't even like, like so (laughs) embarrassed about this. It's by far the most embarrassing thing that happened during this process. But sometime before Christmas break, I was like, I have to reach out to Dan Harris because I have so much mindfulness in my book, right? Like every chapter ends with a regulation exercise. I asked my agent for his email, which she gave me because I guess they know each other. I then listened to a Sam Harris podcast sometime that week, which was also great. And, and also <laughs> about mindfulness. And in also fact, about mindfulness, wow. about resilience, in fact. So I'm like, dear Sam, personalizing. I was like, the, I love the work that you have been doing lately, particularly mm-hmm. about resilience, but also just in this crazy world and the mindful blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I sent it. And then I didn't hear back. And I'm like, hey, to my agent, do you want to chime in? Because I thought I copied her. And she's like, I said, do you want to chime in for the email I sent to Sam Harris? And she's like, why would you send an email to Sam Harris? (laughs) And so I'm like, no. "No." So I go and I see that I wrote Dan Harris this long thing to Sam Harris. And then I sent him another email that was just like, just realized that I made a mistake. Brilliant. But you're also awesome. And I'm going to crawl into a hole now. (laughs) So he wrote you back. Did he write you back? He did. He just said, no problem. Oh, (laughs) oh my God. It wasn't like no problem, but you sound totally stable. And I'm so excited to read your book. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've done things like that. And I always you know, try to call it and say, do what you did. And I have found that that really it works. It, it can work because I'm sure Dan Harris and Sam Harris, they're so different and they probably so get different. this all it's so different. Time. Oh my God. I love <laughs> oh that. Oh my God. That's, for that's, that's the best that. story. Yeah. That's, I haven't told anybody. I'm feeling, feeling better. Oh. <laughs> A little talk therapy. Like, yeah. Anyway, so I guess the lesson there is just like, look at what you're doing. <laughs> right. Double check. God. Double check. Oh, my gosh. It's we've so all great. been there. Oh, my God. We've all been there. And, oh, this is such a pleasure. I can't – I cannot – Thank you enough. And I want to be respectful of your time. Oh I know gosh, you might have you. to go get on a plane to come to New York. Yeah, um, Elisa, we loved having you. Yeah. Tell everyone where they can follow you online and connect with you, all that good stuff. I'm on Instagram on at Raising Good Humans Podcast. I am at any book seller. You can get the five principles of parenting 
preferably at bookshop.com if you're doing it online so you can get to local bookshops. Mm -hmm. And I have a Substack, drelizapressman.substack.com. Yes, a very popular one. And I think that's it. Amazing. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. So We're I so excited. And congrats on the book. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Bookbound. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate and review us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Please visit us at bookboundpodcast.com for more on us and how we work with authors.